If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we are discovering joy as we're working through Paul's epistle to the, the Philippian church. And today we're looking at, uh, looking at Paul as a model of joyful sacrifice, a model of joyful sacrifice. Just doing two verses this morning, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. As you find your place there, if you will, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. You may be seated. One of the basic ways that we learn in, in life is by modeling others. So from the very beginning, as, as we are babies in, in this world, we begin, the, the way we begin to learn is, is not through reading books and, and sitting in a classroom, but it's, it, we learn by modeling others. We learn by modeling our parents, right? That's what we do. And, and then it doesn't end there. Even in life, as we continue to grow up, as we become uh, teenagers and young adults, we begin to, to look around and, and find other role models to, to look to. People, uh, sports, people who are in the sports that we kind of like, we'll, we'll look up to those because we want to be like them. And, and, and people in careers that we pursue, we'll, we find someone in that career, we, we look up to them and we model them. And, and even as you, you get into a time of work, a lot of times, a lot of trades, you have a time of apprenticeship where you sit under someone and what you're doing there, you, you may be filled with head knowledge, but you got to put that knowledge into action. And so you sit under someone as an apprentice and you learn from them by modeling what they do in, in practice. So one of the great ways that we learn as human beings is through modeling others. Now, we must be careful then who we choose to be our models and our mentors in life. We shouldn't just pick anyone, and, and you, you teenagers, you, you listen here. I want to emphasize, be careful who you choose to model in life. Choose your role models carefully, because not everyone in this world is worthy to be a role model. And in fact, Scripture teaches us what we should look for as we seek a role model in life. Now, we know that the, our chief role model, of course, is Jesus Christ. And in fact, Paul has already gone through that. As, as he has been working on this text here, he, we, you know that we began up there at first, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And so Paul is, is teaching us how to live as worthy citizens of the kingdom of heaven. 
And, and so that's his purpose in his mind here. And he goes on from there and t- teaches us to be that, that part of that, part of living in a worthy manner is being spiritually unified in the body of Christ. And the way that we become unified, spiritually unified in the body of Christ is that we model the humility of Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Paul, at the very beginning, puts Jesus forward as our most important role model. We're to look to Jesus and model our lives after him. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus. You sit under Jesus and you want to be like Jesus. You strive to be like Jesus. But then we we also understand that we need to look around us, and, and Scripture does tell us that we can look for role models even here on earth to look up to and to follow. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 says, Be imitators of me. So he is, he's telling the, the church in Corinth, Look to me. Model my life. Allow me to be a role model for you, but he clarifies that statement. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. As I am of Christ. So we, as we look to role models here in this world, in the church, we pick our role models very carefully and we look to people who to imitate who are themselves striving to imitate Christ. That's the first criteria of a good role model. Are they striving to imitate Jesus Christ? Now, there's an important note we need to make here. And it's implied in that that passage I just read. There's only one perfect role model, and that's Jesus Christ. All other role models, all other men that we could look up to to imitate and model, even the best men are men at best. And every man, every earthly role model that we look up to, even Paul, had his faults. They have their faults. They have their sins. I was reminded of that here recently as I I read through a book, a little book called uh, uh, Rescuing the Gospel by Erwin Erwin Lutzer. If you're looking for something, a little history on the Reformation, that's a good book. I recommend it. But as I was reading through that, I was reminded that the best men are men at best because a lot of these heroes of the faith, for example, Martin Luther I look up to Martin Luther because Martin Luther, he he was a a bold man and stood on the the Scriptures, on the Word of God. And when he was there at the the Diet of Worms and he was put on trial and and the emperor looked at him and said, Luther, here's all your books. Will you recant? Will you deny all of your books? And as Martin Luther looked at those books and he knew that that he had written those based upon the Word of God, he, he knew he he felt like every word was according to God's word and and so when he saw that when when they asked him will you recant he he looked up to the emperor and said unless I am convinced by sound reason or the word of God I will not recant he looked up to the most powerful man in his day and said no sir 
unless you can show me where I'm wrong from Scripture, I will never recant. And he lived the rest of his life in hiding because the emperor and the pope were out to get him. So he was a bold man of the faith and he stood upon the Word of God, but he had his faults. Luther in his latter days, in fact, uh, in earlier times, he, he had good hopes for the Jewish people there in Germany. And, and he thought, if I can just explain the Bible to them, they'll surely come to see Christ for who he is and come to faith. When they didn't see Christ for who he was and they didn't come to faith, he became very anti-Semitic in his latter years. And he wrote harshly against the Jewish people. And much of what he wrote was then used later by uh, Adolf Hitler to justify the anti-Semitism of the Nazi regime. Now, do we erase everything that Martin Luther has to teach us about his boldness for God and his strength, his boldness and his faith and his stance upon the Scripture just because of his anti-Semitism? No, we hold on to what's good, but then we got to let go of all the rest. we got to understand that the best men are men at best. And so you look at how they are following Christ. As they, that's what Paul says. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Not in all my other failings. <laughs> See my sin for what it is. Don't follow my sin, but imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we need to make sure we understand that, that warning there. But here in our text today, as we begin to continue on here in the book of Philippians, and we're working through here, after Paul goes through all of that about spiritual unity and, and how we ought to be unified as believers in Christ and humble ourselves and serve one another, and then you remember, he went through this, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. So we're to work to, to sanctify ourselves, to be sanctified, even as God is working in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. We're to participate in what God is doing and to strive for holiness. And then as he works through all of this, then he comes now to our text and the following text, and he puts forward three men for whom we can look to as role models of, of that very thing, of men who are, are striving for spiritual humility, striving for holiness in their own lives. He puts them forward, one being himself, next one being Timothy, we'll look at next week, and then Epaphroditus, who we'll look at in three weeks from now. But he puts forward these men as role models of sanctification. You want to know how to do this? How this looks in, in your own life? Look to these men. Look to myself. Look to Timothy. Look to Epaphroditus. Now, as we look at these, he's, a lot of what he is saying about these three men is really the same thing over again. He's putting all three as models of spiritual humility and, and that humble service to others. But as we look at them individually, though, I think we can pull out and extract some characteristics of each person individually that can help us understand how we can began to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling as God works in us to will and work for His good pleasure. So today then, 
as we look at Paul, we see in Paul a model of joyful sacrifice. A model for joyful sacrifice. Let me just read that text again. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad. See that? A sacrificial offering for your faith? And that makes Paul glad. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, likewise, in like manner, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now that last, glad and rejoice, that's the imperative. That is Paul saying, he's not just making a suggestion here, he is telling us, he is telling the church and he is telling us that this is how we ought to, to live. Just as Paul is, is glad and rejoicing in his sacrificial life to Christ, he is saying, here now, you guys, you need to be glad and rejoice also. And so this is not just a suggestion, but this is a command for us to model Paul in his life as he lives for Christ. So in Paul, then, we see that we can discover joy and sacrifice when our sacrifice is for someone greater than ourselves, namely Christ. Let me say that again. We can discover joy in sacrifice when our sacrifice is for someone greater than ourselves, namely Christ. So let's look then at our passage and begin to, to, to break it down and understand what we can learn from here. If we are to model Paul, if we are to model Paul as he tells us we ought to do, we must First of all, joyfully sacrifice our will to God's will. We must joyfully sacrifice our will to God's will. Again, let's return to our text. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering. Notice there the verb. Notice the kind of verb Paul uses there. If I am to be poured out. Now, that is a passive verb. Right? A, a passive verb, an active verb, would be the subject doing the action of the verb. But in the passive, the passive verb, the subject is being acted upon. And that's what Paul is saying, even if I am to be. He's not saying, even if I pour myself out. Right? He's not doing the action. He is understanding that there's a, a stronger force at work here. He is just a passive player in God's game. And he is willingly sacrificing himself, laying his will over to the will of God. Even if I am to be, even if God pours me out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Even if God does this, Paul is surrendering all of his rights to the will of God. We must joyfully sacrifice our will to God's will, just as Paul did. That means that we sacrifice our station in life to God's will. 
We must sacrifice our station in life to God's will. That is what Paul has done. I'm sure when Paul was a little Jewish boy growing up uh, there and going to the synagogues and all of this thing, and as he became a, a Pharisee, he did not have the dreams of being a missionary, going off to different places and spending so much of his time in prison. He didn't, he didn't look to, to that day and say, you know, I'm looking for one day I'm going to get beaten for Christ. That probably wasn't his ambition in life, but he sacrificed. When he come to know Christ and see the value of Christ, he sacrificed his station in life. He said, God, here's my life. Take it and use it. However you will, I am yours. And when God called and said, you're going to be a missionary, an apostle to the Gentiles, Paul said, I'm all in. God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'm all in. I am your vessel to be used as you will. Dear friend, if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, and if we're going to model the, the godliness that Paul puts forward before us, then we must sacrifice our lives to the will of God and sacrifice our station in life. Give it all to Him. Wherever you want me, where, whatever you want me to do, God, I'm yours. Furthermore, we must sacrifice our sinful desires to God. We must sacrifice our sinful desires, our worldly desires, our fleshly desires to Christ. I was thinking about Romans chapter 12 when I read this and when I was studying this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what Paul is talking about here in Philippians. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's the same thing that he's saying in Philippians. You're to sacrifice your will. You're to sacrifice your desire to God. Offer up yourselves as spiritual sacrifice unto God. Holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to the worldly desires, the fleshly desires, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We must sacrifice our sinful desires, our worldly desires to God so that we in our lives are striving to be holy, striving to be like Christ. We put everything before his throne of grace and say, here it is, Lord. Wipe away everything that displeases you. Wipe it away. I surrender it all to you. And that means that every day we got to get up and, and crucify the flesh and all of its worldly desires. We put our desires on the cross because these old bodies of flesh, they want to do some evil things. And if we don't make it a point every day to get up and crucify our flesh and give our lives to Christ every morning, then we are going to slip into sin. We must sacrifice our worldly desires, our fleshly desires, our sinful desires to Christ. We are to model Paul and to be sanctified 
to work out our sanctification, then we must joyfully sacrifice our will to God's will. Second, we must joyfully sacrifice our ambitions to God's call. We must sacrifice, joyfully sacrifice our ambitions for God's call. Now, this is very similar to what we just said. But slightly different. Uh, Paul, in this imagery that he's using in, in Philippians, is, is all about uh, the ministry, right? He, he's using this temple type of energy uh, uh, metaphor. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, he's using this, this ministry type verbiage. And I think what we see here, we see Paul surrendering all of his ambitions to the call that God has put upon his life. I tell you this because of Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 verses 15 through uh, 18 kind of give us the, the, the mission statement of Paul on, on why he wrote the book of Romans, the purpose that he wrote this book. Let me just read that for you. I'm going to actually back up to verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. So Paul doesn't know the Romans when he's writing the book of Romans. He's never been there. He hasn't been there yet. He's just heard of them. And they seem to be a good faithful bunch. So he's not writing the book of Romans to address some specific issue. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul is pointing to his calling as an apostle to the Gentiles. And he's saying there in Romans, I'm, well, I'm writing to you to fulfill my call. To fulfill my call so that the Gentiles may receive the gospel and grow in the gospel and become sanctified by the gospel so that their offering to God might be pure and holy. That's what he's saying. And that's exactly what he's talking about here in the book of Philippians. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice. He's pointing to his call in life. This his call, the call that God has put upon him to be a minister to the Gentiles gives Paul joy, whatever it takes. If it takes him being thrown in prison to, to, to grow the Philippians, to, for them to increase their faith in God, Paul says, praise the Lord. If I'm to be beaten and you grow in your faith, you grow closer to Christ because of, of my chains, because of, of the whips. If you grow into faith because of my illnesses, praise God. I give it all to God. Paul wants more than anything to fulfill the calling of God upon his life. And dear friends, we must be the same way. We must do the same. 
We must sacrifice all of our ambitions to the will of God, the call of God upon our lives. We must realize, brothers and sisters, that our lives are not our own. Our lives are not our own. We don't own our lives. They're not ours. They're God's. He created us. He gives us life. We are held together day by day because of of the power of His Word. We are His. Everything that exists is His. And as becoming a follower of Christ, we're freely surrendering to His will and His desire. We're saying, God, our life is not our own. It's Yours. Here it is. Our lives are not our own and And God has a a purpose and a plan for us. Therefore, we must passionately pursue God's call upon our lives. As we surrender our lives to Him, we must passionately pursue God's call. What He has called us to do, His purpose for us. And of course, we know His first purpose uh, for the church is to make disciples. All power in heaven and earth has been given unto me, Jesus says. Go, therefore, make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. By baptizing them and teaching them all that I have taught you. That's our first priority as the church. We're to, to go out and spread the gospel, to take the gospel to the nation, preach the gospel to the nations, just like Paul was doing, going out and fulfilling his God call, taking the gospel to the lost Gentiles so that they may come to know Christ and worship Christ. That's our call. We're to take the gospel out to the lost of this world so that the lost might come, fall down upon the thr- at the throne of God's grace and worship God is worthy of worship. And so we must call the people into the house of God so that they might worship He who is most excellent and most glorious. We must make disciples. We must invest in the spiritual lives of others. Dear friends, each and every person, if you're a member of this church or or a member of whatever church, you have been called by God specifically for specific tasks within the church. That's why God gives spiritual gifts to each member so that each member can come into the church and and use those spiritual gifts in the body of the church for the spiritual edification of the other members. Not all are called to teach and preach. Right? Not all are called to teach and preach. Not all have the gift of mercy. Not all have the, 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 the gift of prayer. But God brings in the whole band of us into one place so that we can work together and feed into one another so that each one of us might grow in our relationship to Christ and in our sanctification. We must passionately pursue God's call upon our lives. So we joyfully sacrifice our will to God's will We joyfully sacrifice our ambitions to God's call. And third, we must joyfully sacrifice our well-being for the spiritual well-being of others. We must sacrifice our very well-being for the spiritual well-being of others. Again, look at what Paul says. If I am to be poured out as a drink offering, I do not... uh, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. 
Now let me take a little moment here just to explain the imagery that Paul is putting forward there. Jews and Gentiles alike would have understood what Paul was talking about when he talks about this pouring out of a drink offering. Because the Jews and the Gentiles alike had kind of a a similar way of sacrificing uh, up to the gods. And so, typically, you had one sacrifice. You had the main sacrifice that would be offered up to God. And that would be the the lamb or the the goat or the the bull or or whatever. And that sacrifice would be laid upon the altar. Altar, there we go. It would be laid upon the altar and it would be burned up. And and so the the smoke from the sacrifice goes up to heaven. And then to kind of cap off the sacrifice, there was poured out a drink offering upon the altar. Typically wine, but there was other things that they would pour out as well. But but the, the aroma of the wine then would be sweet and would rise up into heaven. And so the, the imagery there is the, the glory, the beauty, the, the sweetness of the sacrifice being lifted up into the nostrils of God. And Paul says, my sacrifice is not the main sacrifice that I'm looking for. It's not the main thing that I'm, I'm worried about. Oh, praise God, that, that your faith, that's the greater sacrifice. That's the greater sacrifice. The offering of your faith to God, that is the greater sacrifice, the sweeter sacrifice. But if, if I can just pour into it just a little bit, just to, to kind of add something to it, to kind of cap that off as a sweet aroma to God, oh, I am glad and I rejoice. His, he's not thinking about himself. You see that? His ambition is not that, that God would, would look at him and say, look, a oh, good boy, Paul, look at what you're doing. He's, he's thinking about them. He wants them to grow. He wants them to have a greater relationship, to grow in their faith. He is not concerned about his well-being. He is concerned about the spiritual well-being of those to whom He ministers. We must joyfully sacrifice even our well-being for the spiritual well-being of others. That means we must think far less of ourselves. We must think far less of ourselves. We all, in our flesh, we have the other problem, don't we? We always think of ourselves first. We put ourselves first. What, 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 how's it, what do I get out of it? How's it going to benefit me? Why should I go around the world to serve some poor people who don't want to hear the gospel? How does that benefit me? No, we think less of ourselves. We must think less of ourselves just as Christ did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to held on to, but He humbled Himself by becoming a servant. He didn't think of Himself. But He thought of others. And He gave Himself for the good of others as we must give ourselves for the good of others. We must think of ourselves less and give ourselves, pour ourselves out. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant 
and you look to your brother and sister in Christ who is sitting beside you, either side of you right now, and can you honestly say, I surrender all to Christ. I give my all to Christ. I would lay down my own well-being, give of my own well-being, just as that person, that brother or sister, could grow a little bit more in the faith of Jesus Christ. Do you have that attitude today? We're going to follow Christ, we're going to follow Paul, then we must surrender our lives and sacrifice our well being for the well, spiritual well being of others. I think about missionaries. Uh, Jim Elliott, he once said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot have. Jim Elliott and his missionary buddies, Ed McCauley, Roger uh, Yurderin, Peter. Fleming and Nate Saint, these five men, they poured out everything to reach a lost tribe in the Ecuador forest. The Alca Indians there, they, they knew nothing. They were a violent tribe, murderous tribe, but they knew that tribe, they needed to hear the gospel, so they gave everything to go and take the gospel to this band of murderous Indians. And you know, when they went there, they went and they, they spent weeks out on this, this sandy beach close to where these, these, this, these Alcan, Alcan tribe uh, live. They spent weeks out there waiting for them to try to make contact with this tribe. They had guns with them. They brought guns out there just, so, just in case the uh, a wild animal came through, but they determined before they ever made contact with the Alcas that if they come with violence, we're not going to defend ourselves by shooting them. No, 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 because we know where we're going. And if they die on this beach, they're going straight to hell. And so when the Alka Indians came and they came with their spears and a band of men from the Alkas came and speared those five men to death, they willingly gave up their own well-being, their own lives for the spiritual well-being of those men and women that they were trying to reach. Praise be to God that Elizabeth Elliot and Rebecca St. Elizabeth being the, the wife of, of uh, Jim Elliott and Rachel Saint, the sister of Nate Saint, went back later, began to build a relationship with that tribe of Indians and became spiritual brothers and sisters with some of the very men who speared their loved ones to death and they praised God for their spiritual well-being. Can you do that? Would you be so willing to lay down your own life for the spiritual well-being of others? We must joyfully sacrifice our will to God's will. We must joyfully sacrifice our ambitions to God's call. We must joyfully sacrifice our well-being for the spiritual well-being of others. And finally, we must joyfully sacrifice our lives, our will, our ambition, our well-being, all for the glory of Christ. All for the glory of Christ who is the source of joyful sacrifice. 
He's the whole source of it. If He's not in the picture, it's not a joyful sacrifice. It's a useless sacrifice. It's all for His glory. We must live and sacrifice it all, all of our lives for His glory. Not our own. But for His. And we do that because of who He is. He is God. All things were made in Him and through Him and for Him. Christ is everything. He is the King of God's kingdom. He is the great treasure of the kingdom. He's the pearl of great price, the treasure hidden in the field that if we find Him, we go sell everything to go get Christ. He is worthy. We sacrifice it all. We give Him our whole lives because He is worthy. We do it because of who He is and we do it because of what He has done. Because of what He has done. Oh, the great sacrifice that Christ has laid down for us. Hebrews chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is being set before us. That's what Paul is talking about here. Let us run the race with endurance, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that, so that, why did He do it? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Oh, Christ came and He gave His life on Calvary's cross so that we might have life in Him. We can't do any of this without Christ. It's God who works in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's through Christ, through the blood of Christ that He works in us. We look to Christ. We look to His cross. What has He done for us? Is He asking so much? And He laid down His perfect life for our sins. Is it so much that we give our lives back to Him? Willfully, joyfully, knowing that He will work in us. To grow us and give us all of His good treasure. We must sacrifice all of our lives for the glory of He who is most glorious, Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans, Chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
Ephraim, whatever you're suffering in this life, whatever you may suffer in this life, it doesn't even compare. It doesn't compare. Oh, the martyrs who went before us, who, who joyfully went to the stake for the glory of Christ and gave themselves up for the glory of Christ, being burned. They were burned because the sufferings of this life cannot compare to the joy and the glory that we have in Jesus Christ. Dear friend, Christ is worthy of all the sacrifices we make. Christ is worthy of the sacrifice. Joyfully give yourself to Him. We can discover joy and sacrifice when our sacrifice is for someone greater than ourselves, namely, Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a great wonderful gift that we have in Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would spend so much of our time, so much of our energies on such vain things of this world. Oh, Father, may we repent. As we pursue the vain things of this world that only bring depression and and emptiness. Lord, may we repent and joyfully give our all to You who are most glorious and wonderful and who fulfills all joy. Let us be a joyful sacrifice on Your throne of grace, giving ourselves up for Your will, Your call, so that we might see the lost come to know Christ and worship Christ. Who is worthy above all things. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. David comes. Perhaps you're here today and you don't know the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. You don't know the power of His salvation. Then come. We'd be glad to tell you more and talk to you about that. Perhaps you're here today and you just you you're under a burden today because you know your life hasn't been as it ought to be. You haven't been joyfully sacrificing yourself, giving yourself over to the will of God. And maybe today you just want to give it over to Him. Then we invite you to come. Render all to Christ today.